Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the morning services. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. Well, good morning, everyone. So, here we are in Daniel chapter 6, one of the best-known passages in the whole of the Bible, perhaps in the whole of literature. Ones that if you went to Sunday school, you'll no doubt have read a hundred times, that you might have been read at bedtime stories. This passage is very familiar to us. This week, something new struck me as I was reading it through. It struck me that it is almost exactly the same story as in Daniel chapter 3, just with different names. So in Daniel chapter 3, we have a despotic king called Nebuchadnezzar. In Daniel chapter 6, we have a despotic king called Darius. In Daniel chapter 3, our heroes are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In chapter 6, it's Daniel. In chapter 3, we have a bunch of jealous people uh, who don't much like the hero of the story. And uh, in chapter 3, they are magicians, enchanters, astrologers. In chapter 6, we have a bunch of people who are pretty jealous of our hero, uh, but they are called advisors and satraps. In chapter 3, our heroes, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, refuse to compromise their lifestyle or their faith. In chapter 6, Daniel refuses to compromise his lifestyle and faith, despite the fact that, in chapter 3, the despotic king has been tricked by uh, the jealous people, as in chapter 6, the despotic king has been tricked by the uh, uh, jealous uh, uh, advisers. In chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego get chucked into a blazing furnace. In chapter 6, Daniel gets chucked into a lion's den. By the way, it could be an interesting would-you-rather over lunch. Uh, Would you rather be chucked into a lion's den or a blazing furnace? Uh, Discuss. Have fun with that. Um, In both chapter 3 and chapter 6, God miraculously keeps our heroes safe, and they emerge from their um, life-threatening situation unscathed and unharmed. And in both chapter 3 and chapter 6, the despotic king then praises God and says how wonderful he is whilst carrying on with his fairly horrific actions. They're extraordinarily similar. I mean, it was so tempting just to preach the same sermon as a few weeks ago. But sadly, I have heard that at least three of you were awake the whole way through, so I've had to come up with a new one. And so today what I want to do is to do a bit of a compare and contrast between Darius on the one hand and Daniel on the other. And, spoiler alert, uh, the conclusion is going to be, don't be a Darius, be a Daniel. Now we'll get to the differences between them in a minute, but actually we need to begin by acknowledging there are quite a lot of similarities 
both King Darius and Daniel were powerful, wealthy, and influential individuals. King Darius, of course, was the king. He was extraordinarily powerful, powerful enough to have overthrown the Babylonian Empire, which up to that point had been the most powerful empire in the world. But in comes King Darius with his Medan or Medo-Persian empire, powerful enough to destroy the Babylonian Empire and set himself up as king, basically over the whole of the known world. Extraordinarily powerful. And with that power came great wealth and great influence, not just uh, in the local area, but across the known world. Now, Daniel wasn't quite in the same league as King Darius, but he wasn't far off. Daniel was a very powerful man. We read in the first uh, uh, verses of this chapter that uh, Daniel was amongst the three administrators who were over the whole kingdom. It's going to be very pleasing for uh, Jill and Magdalena and Jeanette in our office to hear that the administrators uh, were the most powerful people under the king. And he was one of three who oversee all the satraps and other leaders. And then we read a a couple of verses later that, in fact, he was so good at his job that Darius was going to set him up as the single overseer over the whole kingdom. Daniel, therefore, was the most powerful man, aside from Darius, in the whole of the kingdom. And with that power will have come great wealth and great influence. And we should recognise at this point that Daniel would have had quite a long time to accrue this wealth and influence. I don't know how you imagine Daniel in this story, maybe as a 25, 26-year-old strapping young man, uh, but he's in his 80s in this, in this passage. So in, at the beginning of Daniel chapter 1, he's kind of a weedy, scrawny 13-year-old. And by the time we get to chapter 6, he's, he's a, a venerable old chap in his 80s. This story of Daniel uh, goes right across the breadth of life. So Daniel almost certainly was a wealthy man, and he exuded uh, great influence uh, and exerted great influence uh, across the nation. So two men, powerful, wealthy, and influential And yet the way that they lived out that power, wealth, and influence couldn't have been more different. So three differences that I want to pull out today. Firstly, Darius was arrogant and Daniel was humble. Darius was arrogant enough to be tricked by his advisers into declaring that no one in the kingdom could worship anyone else, person or God, apart from him. We can therefore safely presume that he thought himself, or wanted others to think himself, not just equal with God, but higher than God. It's extraordinary arrogance. Maybe we might say, understandable, he's the most powerful man in the world, easy to get to that point. And perhaps that's not something that we relate to in our lives. There's only one or two of you here who I would say are arrogant enough to presume yourself higher than God. (laughs) Maybe that doesn't apply to us, but there will be some of us here, and I absolutely count myself among that number, who struggle with arrogance in some way, shape or form. Arrogance is the inflation of our own importance or abilities. And that can be either in our own mind, how we think of ourselves, or indeed how we try and persuade others to think of us. I wonder if that's something you struggle with. 
20 years ago, I was an intern at a church in Canterbury. And before I go any further with this story, I want to clarify, this wasn't the last time I was arrogant, it's just a notable time that I was arrogant. And uh, I was with a bunch of other interns, and as a group of young people, we were going away for a residential uh, weekend. And uh, there was a girl amongst the group, and I knew that she fancied me. I mean, how could she not? <laughs> I was spotty, gangly, and somewhat overpious. It's the complete young Christian man package. I don't know how anyone could have resisted. Anyway, I knew, I knew this, and I was expecting her to, to ask me out. And sure enough, um, at a point during this residential weekend, she, she said, Ben, can we have a quiet word? Um, and so we went into uh, a quiet room. And uh, I was preparing myself to let her down uh, gently. I was a gracious, a gracious young man. Um, and she said to me, Ben, I thought, here goes. She said, Ben, this is really hard to say, but just finding you really annoying at the moment. <laughs> You're so rude. <laughs> I heard that here, here. Thank you very much. Um, you're, you're rude. I know you think you're joking, but frankly, they're inappropriate. And just please, can you stop? It was like being hit round the face with a wet kipper. It was horrible. And yet it was probably one of the most useful things that anyone has ever said to me across the course of my life. See, I'd become arrogant in my own head. I had inflated my own importance and abilities. I wonder if there are parts of your life where you do that, where actually in your own mind you've done that, or indeed where you try and persuade others that you are more important or more able than you know you actually are. King Darius was arrogant. Daniel, on the other hand, was humble. We can see this right throughout the book of Daniel. Time and time again, when he could have pointed to himself, when he could have gained glory for himself, he instead pointed to God. Time and time again, when he could have done things in his own strength, he turned to God in prayer. In verse 11 of this chapter, where do the advisors find Daniel? He was at prayer, asking God for help. In fact, prayer is one of the ultimate acts of humility, because as we pray, we acknowledge that God is greater than we are. We come to him for his help, and we seek to align our will with his. Daniel was a humble, prayerful man. He didn't point to himself, but to God. He didn't turn to his own strength, but to God's. Because Daniel had a right perspective. This wasn't kind of Uriah heap hum, uh, humility. This wasn't, oh, woe is me, or this wasn't fake humility. This wasn't even, oh, I'm miserable and awful. It was just a right and appropriate understanding of who God is. And for Daniel, who he was. For those of us who struggle with arrogance in one way, shape or form, perhaps we might do well this week to turn to God in prayer, to seek his wisdom and guidance and help, and to seek an appropriate understanding of who he is and who we are. Darius was arrogant and Daniel was humble. Secondly, Darius acted out of his insecurity 
Daniel acted out of his security. I believe that that Darius was an insecure individual. Uh, We learn that the advisors tricked him, trapped him even, into, into having to kill Daniel. He didn't want to have to do it, but he didn't think there was a way out. But you know, I'm not sure that that's true. Actually, if you look at the rest of the chapter, we can see that Darius could do pretty much whatever he wanted with absolute impunity. So why then did he not seek to rescue Daniel? Well, I think it was because he was acting out of his insecurity. He didn't want to show any weakness, and he didn't want to admit he had been wrong. And maybe those are things that some of us here struggle with as well. I certainly count myself among that number. It's hard to show weakness, isn't it? We don't want to admit we're weak a lot of the time. We don't want to admit that we need help from other people. We want to be self-sufficient and independent because that's what true strength is, right? This is certainly how I am. The way it manifests itself most obviously for me is with my eyesight. I've told you this before. But sometimes when people try and help me, what I want to do is shout, get off! I can do this myself. I don't need your help. Why? Because I don't want to look weak. I don't want to look like I need help. And it's stupid. Of course I need help. I'm blind. If I'm about to walk off a precipice, I need someone to stop me. But I don't want that to be the case. It's hard to admit weakness. I wonder, are you like that? Are there moments in your life where actually you want to be independent and self-sufficient and you push people away because of it? I think that's acting out of insecurity. And what about... Admitting when we're wrong. Man, this is hard, isn't it? This reminds me of that glorious bit from The Office when David Brent uh, has thought something uh, wrong of Tim and Dawn says to to David Brent, are you going to apologise to Tim? And he says, well, in a family, in a way, you don't don't need to apologise. She says, are you going to apologise to Tim? He says, well, I have, in a way. So... Are you going to apologise to Tim now? Sorry about that, sorry. He just can't bring himself to do it. It's glorious because probably many of us <laughs> can relate to it. It's hard to say we're sorry. It's hard to admit we're wrong. The ironic thing is, of course, that we don't like um, kind of showing weakness and we don't like admitting we're wrong because we think that we'll be weak or we think that others will think us weak because of it and actually, in most cases the exact opposite is true being able to ask for help being able to admit that we're wrong those are sign of strength, signs of strength they're certainly signs of godly strength Darius acted out of his insecurity but Daniel acted out of his security Again, we can see this right through the book and reflected again here in this chapter. Daniel was secure. And I think there are two ways that he was secure. First and foremost, he was secure in God. And he was secure about who he was in God. We've already said that Daniel had a right perspective of who God is and who he was. But more than that, I think, he knew who he was in God. He was secure in the fact that he was a precious child of God. 
And in the end, for all of us, that is our ultimate security. We so often seek security in how others think of us or even how we think of ourselves. But the truth is, ultimately, those things are fragile, feeble, and frail. But each one of us, no matter who we are or what we've done, we are God's precious child. There is nothing that can take that away. That is our ultimate security. And in the context of that, we perhaps don't need to strive for admiration, appreciation, and respect from others in quite the same way. So Daniel was secure in who he was in God. Secondly, I think, he was also secure in his own actions. <clears throat> he knew that the way that he had acted in this situation was right and true and godly. In verse 22, as he emerges from the den of lions, he says, I have been found innocent in God's sight, and I have done no wrong before you, O king. Now look, Daniel was a human. He wasn't perfect, despite the fact that through most of this book he looks it. He would have had lots of times in his 80-something years where he'd messed up. But actually in this scenario, and I think we can presume that this is the way that he tried to live the whole of his life, He knew that he'd acted in a godly and just way. And because he knew that, he was able to be secure in himself. So Daniel was secure in who he was in God and in the things that he had done. And that brings us on to the third difference. Darius was inauthentic. Daniel was authentic. So Darius talked the talk, but he didn't walk the walk. If we look at the last few verses of this chapter, and we see uh, the wonderful kind of proclamation and acclamation that Darius does, it's wonderful. He says, God is amazing. He's the King of kings, the Lord of heaven. Everyone should worship him. He's ama-. I mean, they're just glorious verses. They're the kind of verses that you might well find in one of those encouraging Christian birthday cards. Wonderful. But if you look at the verses just before, it sets those verses in quite a different light. I would say even in a macabre light. You see, Darius has just thrown all the advisors into the den of lions for them to be destroyed. Now you might say, well, it was a different time. It was a barbaric time. Actually, this was justice and retribution for those advisors who'd sought to trick and trap Darius into killing Daniel. You could say that. I don't, I don't hold much sway with that. But even if you did say that, if we look more closely, we see it wasn't just the advisors that Darius threw into the lion's den to be eaten, but all of their wives and all of their children. This is horrific. This is mass murder. How can we take what he says just after that seriously? I don't think we can. I think he's inauthentic. I think he taught the talk, but he didn't walk the walk. And you know, I see this reflected across our world in all sorts of leadership situations. I find it so depressing. We've allowed it to get to a state where we're led by people who talk the talk and don't walk the walk. 
see it across churches. We see it, you know, in all the horrific situations that have unfolded in terms of abuse in churches. We see it in, in, in the leadership of our, of our politics and our countries. I know I'm not meant to talk party politics in the pulpit, but frankly, I'm off next week, so what are you going to do about it? <laughs> and you, look, you're really welcome to disagree with me, but I find it depressing that Boris Johnson is our Prime Minister. Nothing to do with his policies because of his character. I think he's narcissistic, self-indulgent, egomaniac. And yet he leads our nation. And it's, I, I just think it's depressing that, that we've, we let that happen. We shouldn't let that happen. We shouldn't, we shouldn't let that happen in our nation. And, but more pertinently, of course, we shouldn't let that happen in ourselves. We shouldn't become those kind of people who talk the talk and don't walk the walk. By the way, if you love Boris Johnson, that's absolutely fine, and we can have a discussion about it later on. That's just my personal opinion. Darius was inauthentic, but Daniel was authentic. Right throughout his life, he sought to live a life that brought glory to God and that acted out the things that he said, even in the most difficult of circumstances. We read in verse 4 of this chapter that he was trustworthy, neither corrupt nor negligent. That'd be a great thing to have said about you, wouldn't it? Would, would, would people in your workplace say that about you? I hope so. Trustworthy, neither corrupt nor negligent. Daniel lived an authentic life. Not a perfect life, but he sought to be authentic. And I think there's a challenge in there for us. Because Daniel was authentic even when it cost him everything. So, Darius was arrogant and Daniel was humble. Darius acted out of his insecurity, Daniel out of his security in God and to a lesser extent in his own actions. Darius was inauthentic, Daniel was authentic. So, don't be a Darius, be a Daniel. The only problem is it's flipping hard. It's really hard to live a humble, secure, authentic life. The problem is, I think, that the very moments where you need to make those decisions to act humbly, to act out of security, and to be authentic, they're the very moments where those decisions are hardest to make because, in all likelihood, they cost the most. This is a costly way to live. I don't know about you, but I struggle and fall short time and time and time and time again. Right here, right now, it's so hard to live like that. But I think that's how we're called to live. And why? I think we're called to live like that, not just because we have a God who says that's how we should live, but because we have a God who showed us that that is the way to live. You see, this passage here in Daniel is in some ways a looking forward to Jesus. Daniel here lived, uh, lived out this humility, this security and this authenticity, and it nearly cost him everything. 
Jesus, of course, lived the ultimate life of humility, security, and authenticity. And it cost him everything. Jesus talked the talk, and I'm very grateful for that because we've got some great parables and so on because of it. But he walked the walk all the way to the cross for me. And so if I want to be a follower of Jesus, I've got to try and live as a Daniel. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, you've got to live as a Daniel. I wonder, have you got something going on in your life at the moment which maybe is difficult? Maybe you've got a difficult decision to make. Maybe there is an easy way and a right way. Maybe there's a way that's going to work out best for you and a way that you know is godly. Are you willing to follow Jesus in walking the walk, the way of the cross? Because I can't promise you that it's all going to work out well. But I can promise you that in Christ and in God, it's the right way to live. And that ultimately, it will be shown as the right way to live. So, don't be a Darius. Be a Daniel. Be humble. Live in the security of who you are as a precious child of God and in living an authentic life where you talk the talk and walk the walk. Amen. We're going to have just a moment of quiet. And then, Richard, in a moment, if you'd lead us in our hymn, we're going to sing this wonderful hymn, And Can It Be?, which speaks of that amazing love, the security that we have in Jesus. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? And yet he did. And it's in that truth and hope that we live our lives. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon Podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week. Thank you.